Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season, we're a little bit different. How do you, as a recruitment leader and founder, maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the RAG Podcast. Uh, today, I'm excited as always. Yeah, I always say I'm excited, but I am, I'm really excited. It's uh, It feels like the... The summer's coming in the UK. The weather's getting brighter. Um, there's still positive signs across the recruitment market, which is always good. And uh, I've got another wicked guest. So today, I'm joined by Dan Taylor. Dan is the MD of Morgan Hunt. Some of you might have heard of Morgan Hunt. They're, they're a sizable organization, 150 members of staff across the UK. They specialize in public sector recruitment on a mission to be the UK's leading public sector recruiter across multiple areas and divisions. Now, What's interesting about Dan is he's not—he's uh, not the founder. Okay, he works for the founders directly, but he's—I'd uh, call a recruitment entrepreneur. You know, he's that guy that has started his career at Hayes, done a 15-year stint at Hayes, um, worked his way up into all sorts of roles, and officially solved constant problems. He then joined Morgan Hunt and worked his way up pretty quickly to be in the, the top of the tree, the MD. And now he's gone through the COVID pandemic. He's running a 150-man business. He's got so much value to offer, but he's also an inspiration to, to the fact that not everyone needs to start a recruitment firm. The RAG, I think, often promotes growth in a way that means the only way to be successful is to start your own in your underpants. Um, the truth is you don't have to sit there in, in your back bedroom. You can go and work for somebody else and work your way up to the top and still make that huge financial, um, you get that huge financial reward, but also have that feeling of an entrepreneur and he, and he, and he breaks all that down in, in today's episode. So um, I'm super excited for that. Let's get into today's show. Without further ado, Dan, welcome to the RAG podcast. Hi, Sean. Nice to be with you. Pleasure. Pleasure to have you on, mate. Um, I, uh, I, I always say this, but I've just given a nice introduction, a very, very vague introduction to you. And um, we only spoke recently, so I don't have that much knowledge about you and your role, only what we, we spoke about on the initial conversation. Um, for, from, for everyone, including myself, the listener's benefit, could you give us an overview of who you are and what you do? Okay, so I'm Dan Taylor, and I'm the Managing Director of Morgan Hunt. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, in terms of the Managing Director, it's my name over the door. I report directly into the owners of the business, but I'm supported by an executive and a director team. We're a business of 150 people, and we focus on the UK public sector market. Wow. That is our background. That's where we come from. And we are specialists in a number of niche disciplines across the public sector. Right. Um, big role, 150 people. Yeah, yeah. It, it has been bigger at times. We, we are coming out of the pandemic. We, we use the pandemic um, and lockdown in particular to investigate every single part of the business and really identify what was important to us and where this business should go and how it should shape up for the future. Yeah. And during that period of time, we did virtually everything. We rebranded, built a new website, new CRM, um, focused on new businesses. We opened up in Scotland for the first time. We opened up our IT offering for the first time. So lots and lots. We brought a new director team into the business. And all this change happened under the pandemic. So it was quite a uh, interesting, challenging and now rewarding time. Yeah. But you know what? That's, I'm going to ask you that question now before we even go into the past, because we will. Um, would you change the pandemic? If you could go back and stop the pandemic from happening, would you stop it? Um, right. 
I think it was really good for Morgan Hunt in terms of a business point of view because it allowed that focus mm. and it allowed us to really put every aspect of the business in the crosshairs and evaluate it and do the right thing by that business. Clearly, the pandemic was not good. You know, no. a lot of people had, you know, and I don't, and a look, very difficult we're not, we're not, we're not, but that's not what I'm trying to say. You know, I'm talking about from a personal yeah. business perspective. Would you, would you have, because we were all, I think a lot of businesses were, were, economically and, and, you know, financially in a really good place in February 2020. Yeah. You know, we were all, I remember it was a good start to the year, record year. Everyone's talking record years. And then it it fell off a cliff pretty quick. So, yeah, if we take the health side, which is, you know, obviously that we would never wish that. But from a business perspective, I, I wouldn't change it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased and proud of how our business has evolved. So would you agree that it's been a, it has been a good thing for the company? 100%. Yeah. We've completely reshaped, remodeled the organization. We've focused around the productivity of the individuals we've got in there. And a business like Morgan Hunt, we are only as good as the people we employ. Yeah. Yeah. And it it allowed us to make sure we're putting those guys and the company ethos and what the company is all about front and center in it in terms of everything we do. Yeah. Makes so sense. it was really good from that point of view. Could the pandemic be managed a lot better by, you know, I think the lockdowns were a... Were, were, were a dreadful sort of peak. I mean, let's hang on, let's go back. So March 2020, it wasn't great. Yeah, nobody knew what was coming. Mm. Um, and we had to, and governments were put in very difficult situations. But I think the ongoing nature of lockdowns was disruptive after a period of time. But in terms of Morgan Hunt, it really focuses on what we wanted to be and where we wanted to go. Yeah, totally agree with what with that as well. I, I think a lot of people I've interviewed would, would agree with that. Mm. Um, right, let's go back then. So you started your recruitment career, according to LinkedIn, is it 1996? Is that right? Yeah, January 1996. Wow, just before Euro 96. What a year. It, it was amazing. What a great time to be alive that was. No, that I, was only, I was only 10 years old. I remember it. I was only 10. Um, fantastic. What a year. What a year. The weather, was it, am I, am I remembering the summer was pretty good weather as well? Like, it was, it felt like yeah. like a warm summer, yeah. Um, yeah. Every back, England game was played in sunshine. It was. Know, what, so games, yeah. Take the picture. What was your life like back then as a human? Like, Where were you in life? What was the situation for you? Okay, well, there's quite a story there. So um, I had just finished up, um, well, I was working in 1995 in a um, country house um, action holiday adventure resort <laughs> in the Y Valley. I was in the middle of nowhere. And it was my job to uh, meet guests, entertain them, and arrange activity programs over the Sounds period. Class. On job, yeah. And I found myself uh, out there because a few things had not worked out in my life. Mainly, I was a drummer in a band wow. in the nineteen nineties, and um, we were hoping desperately to get signed, and we weren't. And the bass player left, and I had to go and off and do something different. So you weren't expecting that, were you? Sure? No, it's no. all coming out now, Dan. Are you still? <laughs> do you still have any any uh, drumming? Like, do you still practice and do it, or? I still gig, yeah. I was yeah. gigging last Saturday, and I'm gigging oh, this Saturday. Very different, oh, but uh, of a band, yeah. Um, yeah, a different band. I now play, much to my embarrassment, in an '80s tribute band, which is not my sort of chosen form of music. It's but music. I bloody love playing the drums, and I love oh, playing man. the drums in front of people. So um, yeah, that's what's good. the name of the band? What's the name of the band? Epic '80s. If anybody Epic wants 80s. to book us for weddings, you know, birthday parties. Get in where, touch. Are you, where are you based again? We're in Brighton. Yeah. Brighton. But so look, we, anyone anyone on the South Coast, there's got to be a lot of people who listen to this that are like it, a bit of 80s music, <laughs> a bit of your bit of Europe. All I think of the final countdown. That's all that goes through my head. Um I think that was the 80s anyway. It was, it was, it was, when I was yeah. very little. Um anyone wants it? Epic 80s, get involved. But definitely so you, so you find yourself you, did you finish up with that? Business, that, that job then and then you fell into recruitment is that the classic story well a very good mate of mine is a guy called Darren Montague we've been mates since we were 16 he gave me a call and he said look I'm the manager of what was Montrose which was part of Hayes at that stage Brighton office you come in replace me as the junior person everybody moves up one and I'm moving up to London to pick up the uh, a role in London and it was like okay 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 let, let, let's have a look at it so I went to the various interviews managed to get the job and in January I find myself as the new boy in uh, the uh, Montrose office in Brighton, which was six people. I was the only one who didn't smoke at my desk. And because wow. I was the new boy, I had to sit on the broken chair. And wow. that was my introduction to recruitment. Welcome. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it was a real kind of shock to the system. You know, yeah. we started at eight o'clock every morning. I can remember getting pinned against the wall one day because the day after my birthday, I'd turned up five minutes late. Oh. 
and we worked and the job was done and it was a very different time then but it was great for me and i worked with some brilliant brilliant people. what did you what what did you actually recruit i started, so it was construction industry recruited for and i started off on the blue collar desk and then moved on to construction management as my time went on mm. um but yeah that's that's where i started it, it was fantastic um wonderful place to be we and had what, how we did had your the, career evolve how did your career evolve were you were you a natural recruiter or did you quite quickly go into more of a leadership position no i, I was comfortably the worst recruiter you've probably ever met um for the first six months of my life and then something clicked and um a brilliant manager i had on a day-to-day -day basis a guy called trevor mills who i'm still in touch with literally kicked me um into becoming um, a good recruiter and then I kind of got it and everything kind of, kind of clicked into place after six months and I just took off. And um, I was a strong recruiter there through um, my period there. But my passion always was about how could I get into management? How could I drive this business forward? Use my passion and my skills in sort of working with people to take where do you think that? Where do you think that comes from? Because like, I'll be honest, I didn't have that. I didn't have that passion of managing people it was one of them things where I was I think I was quite a natural recruiter and I quick, quickly picked it up and I performed really well and my bosses were like you know re let's replicate him because he's a bit of a flight risk he's billing you know a lot of money um at one point I think I was billing a third of the company's revenue and they're like wow he's a, he's a flight risk and and I think they saw I was quite a you know a good talk a good communicator I could probably get people on board and I did all right I was decent manager I wouldn't say I was the best where does that passion come from for you um, I don't know. It probably comes from my mum more than anything else, because um, she's very passionate about people and cares a great deal about mm. people. Um, I, I think it's the most beautiful part of my job is taking people and possibly putting on the similar journeys to the one I went on, not being mm. very good and how you work with those people and take them forward and develop them over a period of time. It, it's just a fantastic joy to be able to see that. And I'm delighted that I'm still really grateful to the people who've made a big difference in my life in terms of my career. Mm. And it's great when you see younger people actually reflect that back on you as well as time goes by. The longer we're in this industry, you know, there's more and more people who you kind of get close to over that period of time. And if you've had an influence, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's the most rewarding thing of this job for me. You are right, though. Like you, everyone in, anyone who's ever been on this show, anyone I've ever dealt with, they'd all be able to cite a couple of names that made an impact. You know, people yeah. that genuinely, like if I look at my the start of my career, there was there was two people in Australia, Helen Mackay and Hamish Gordon that I worked for. And they're, Hamish works for LinkedIn in Sydney, I believe. And, and Helen went off to Singapore. And I think she still works in the industry. Incredible people that were inspirational. And then when I got to London, I worked for a lady called Claire Eads, who was, in my opinion, was I mean, still would probably one of the best recruiters I ever met. And she just dragged me along and, and got me to a standard that I, I mean, I, I became really good. Um, you, you never forget those people, do you? Like you don't, and, and you'll take them forever. You'll always be grateful to those people. Yeah. I think it's really important to recognize it that, you know, I think sometimes we can lose it. So it's all about us. We're just natural geniuses, but it's not We're the sort of some of the people we interact with on a close and daily and regular basis to drive us forward. Mm. And, you know, this position I'm in and the life I lead is really down to some brilliant people who were so instrumental to me, particularly as a young guy, you know, um, in 1996. What, what age were you when you got into recruitment then? I was 25. Right. Same as me yeah. when I got in. So you're, you were looking at LinkedIn. What, you're Hayes for like, what was it, 10, 11 years or so? 15 years I did at Hayes. Yeah. Right. Um, so... I think the first thing is back in the 90s, it felt like we had the wave behind us. There was very little in terms of competition out there. Um, this was a coming industry. Uh, when I, um, a lot of my sales in the early days was not why you should use us over another recruitment agency. It was why you should use a recruitment business in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Uh, concept sell, we call it. This is the concept we're offering. This is the best way to, we used to draw peaks and troughs graphs. And this is where your staffing is. And we help with the peaks and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, and that was great. So it was great. And that, that, that kind of roar of everything was moving forward. The economy was moving forward. We touched on it earlier. The, the, the mid and late 90s were a great time to be alive. It was all really happening. Um, and then we had a bit of a bump in 2001 after the World Trade uh, Center disasters. Yeah. But it was a tiny thing. And we quickly bounced back. And then we chugged on forward again at a rate of knots. Um, till 2008 when the recession hit 
And things for me kind of changed there. There was a lot more competition out in the marketplace. Mm. A lot of that competition we had bred ourselves. Yeah, people um, spread out and left and, yeah. Yeah. And then there wasn't that kind of, you know, um, entrepreneurial excitement, which I'd enjoyed at the first half of my career. I think some of the kind of close-knit family nature had gone from it, and it kind of felt it was a bit congealed it's and a bit cool. kind of MBA program says this, etc. Really? And I was losing my passion for it. Where were you in terms of the role at this point, 2008? So in 2001, I, I left the Brighton office and worked across the South Coast, and I moved to London. And this was the start of something that's been a regular theme in my working career, is being given opportunities in roles where there's been some significant performance issues and going in to do kind of turnaround um, type events in terms of the role I was doing. And there was a particular business up in London that was struggling, went in there and began to sort of pick it apart and, you know, bring the kind of uh, bring the right people together in that business unit and give them something to get behind and something to be proud about. And what do you think? Sorry to interrupt you there, but what what is it about? A, what does a recruitment team or business unit need? Like if you were going to like, you know, a couple of things like ingredients that have to be there that you're going in to look for when you're going in and assessing this, you know, broken department or whatever. What what needs to be there, do you think, for a team to, to be going in the right direction? Well, in my experience, it's all about people and it's about how they feel about the job itself. Right. So it, it's identifying people, what the issues are, and working out if you can actually fix those issues in those people and change the mental perception about the job itself. That's what it comes down to. It's then building a proper leadership team in that organization, whether it's management or directors, depending on the size of the, the, the role you have, to make sure that you are all gunning for something in particular. And that level of passion flows through the whole working team. Right. So it's a case of saying, getting hearts and minds on board and making sure we're all bought into a shared vision. And then I imagine there's some tough decisions to be made as well, where some people won't be on that journey. And, you know, you've been brought in to, to make that happen. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got to look, you've got to find out if people can't be on board with you, they've got to go somewhere else and do their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A, because you're not particularly helping them. And B, they're certainly not helping you. Yeah. So that level of honesty and clarity and being able to challenge people about, look, this is what we want. This is what we're after. This is what we need from you. This is the part you play in this organization is really, you know, essential to get to that first of all. And once you've got the right people in the right places, the, the, the great news is there's often some opportunity for people who may be not quite as senior and we may be pushing them up into a higher role, but because they've got the passion and the desire to push themselves and the business forward, they're yeah. the people you elevate. Yeah, you see it. Okay, so in 2008, where were you then when, when, the, when that fell apart? So I was at that stage, I was looking after the construction professional market for central London for Hayes. And um, there was probably no business that was hit as hard and as quickly as that business, for instance, stuff like architecture and planning mm. and engineering. So literally the first thing everybody does is stop building stuff, right? And they, those guys <laughs> hit it first, yeah? Yeah. So, so that was quite a challenging place to be. I think one of the big challenges about it is recruitment had been reasonably easy at that stage. It was a case of finding a decent candidate, getting some commitment and just blatting them out to the yeah. marketplace and just waiting for the uh, placement fee to arrive, right? And then suddenly it became very different. You really had to know the marketplace. You really had to have strong relationships in there. And some people couldn't make that transition at that stage. So it was pretty tough. It was a downsizing of the business at that stage. And then just really, you know, knuckling down into the key areas where we could see opportunity for us over that coming time. And you say at that point, you felt different. What was your life like? You're 37 years old now. Like what... Had you had you more responsibility? Were you a, you must be a different, completely different person than you were at twenty five. Uh, massively, yeah. And something particular had happened in my life at that stage. I, I got married at, um, in two thousand and four, and then in two thousand and eight, my wife gave birth to twins. Wow! So that was quite a challenge. So um, 
um, I, I, we used to have this thing where my, my wife would do the uh, so we do the feed at two in the morning then I'd be allowed to go in the spare room and sleep yeah, uh, yeah. so I could get up on the train from Brighton to London to make sure I was in the office for eight o'clock every day and you know at that stage you know who knew what the future was and then suddenly I'm responsible for two extra lives in the world yeah so it was, yeah. it, was it was a challenging time but what what when you say it changed for you in the business what was the sign or symptoms that things were different well, I think, first of all, because we didn't have that rapid growth and acceleration, um, which was largely due to the you know, global financial crash. But secondly, because, you know, the, it, it just lost some of its edge. There was much more competition out there and there wasn't this kind of electric entrepreneurial feel about the business. Yeah. And I kind of lost, OK, well, where's this go next for me? And I think all of us need that next kind of, okay, this is the challenge I'm building for. This is what I'm trying to get to now. You carried on for another three years though, right? So if you were there for 15 years, that's only 12, 12 years from 96. So you had another three years. Yeah. So I then had a, so I had a year of restructuring that business. And in 2009, an opportunity came back on the South coast for me to pick up the education business. Right. Um, which was a really interesting time. Never done education recruitment before. Um, but again, it was a bit of a troubled business at that stage. It needed revamping. It needed some new ideas. It needed to really sort out the people element of that business. And I went in and did it from 2009 to 2011. Right. And that was being closer to home, I imagine, and less commuting to London. And That was work. a big driver. Yeah. Having uh, the kids at that stage, that was a great time of life. Having said that, I was still out of the, off uh, out of the house really early in the morning. Though That business started, I think, at 7.30 in the morning in those days to hit the schools first thing before the uh, academic day started. Again, I'm doing this interview a bit random ways around, right? But like having had the pandemic now, I think one oh. of the things people are really passionate about is that still being able to hit all the same productivity but still but being able to you know see the kids for breakfast or for dinner or whatever like would you is it did you miss out on a lot of those things because of the way that the world the way that the recruitment industry but most most industries work back then it was it was non-negotiable you were always on the road you were always in meetings you were always in physical like today i don't know are you at home today dan i am at home today yeah exactly, right so we're doing this now in a remote i'm at home i'm in the office this afternoon what would you say that looking back the way you, the time you had with your children and stuff would have been different had it been in a 2022. It would have been massively different. Yeah. You know, I never saw my kids in the morning and often I didn't see them in the evening. Mm. Um, up until fairly recently, you know, that they now, they're 14, they turn 14 at the weekends, so they stay up later now. But at that stage, you know, and particularly some of the problems I've had with trains down the years, you yeah. know, often, you know, you, the most important 10 minutes of your day was just running through that door so you could read them a story before they go to bed at night. Wow. Um, and that's what you did. Now, um, I, I, you had to make sacrifices in those days. I still think you do, really. Um, I, I'm not a great believer in the work-life balance stuff, but clearly life has got better for us. And I think new parents, that's kind of stuff, it's, um, it, it's much better that you have more time with your kids. I think what's different is... The, the, the kind of working day doesn't sit in those brackets anymore like it used to like like this morning for example I went for a run at quarter to seven I'm back I walked the dogs I then saw the kids and my partner for breakfast always fun watched Man City and uh, Real Madrid highlights because Gabriel went to bed at about 15 minutes into the game right um and he's loving it four three we won blah 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 um then I'm I'm working again and then tonight I think We'll, I'll see them from, I think, half five, six till about 7.30. And then I've got to go and do another call, you know, and I'll probably go back to my office because I used to do it from home where I am now, but it's just it's just not fair because we live in this like open plan house where my office, there's one door and it's you can hear everything in the living space. So it just doesn't work. So I'll go back. And that was meant, that wouldn't just literally would have been nuts, wouldn't it? Like you just wouldn't have done it. Like, but some, and, and the fact that someone wants, I'm speaking to someone on the other side of the world, because that's why it's in the US. That's why I've got an half seven call in LA, which again, would that have happened 20 years? I don't know. Like it was, it was just a very different, everything was so specific back then. I mean, it's kind of just all mashed into one, I think. Yeah, look, I, I, and I've got evidence now it's making our people more productive, this hybrid. I, I mean, I actually believe that you need both. Yeah, I do. Uh, 
I think you need that time at home where you can live that flexibility around your life and make sure it sits around you. And actually, you know, some of our best recruitment's going on at seven, eight o'clock in the evening yeah. when people can genuinely have, you know, long conversations about their, their career and what they they seek in the um, in the employment world. But at the same time, we need to come together. We're highly sociable people. Um, I, I talked to you about the magic of personnel development in our roles. You know. Yeah. I've got to see people. That's where I get a lot of my energy yeah. from. Yeah. Um, as a leader of a business, I need to be around the people who are, you know, doing it every day. So the, the hybrid way of working, I, I think it's much better. It comes about, you know, the big thing was trust, wasn't it? You know, the, the pandemic forced us to trust our people. And what we soon learned was that actually good people are just as productive no matter where they are. Yeah. Um, you know, and people who weren't going to be productive also weren't going to be productive in the office necessarily. You know, they were constantly in the kitchen or, you know, stupid lunch breaks, that kind of stuff. But good people do a good job because they genuinely care about the output of their uh, their yeah, role. They, they want to do well. What, what was the catalyst then? What was the final straw with A's? Why did you leave? Well, I actually got made redundant in the end. Right. Um, so um, I, I think... Uh, which was a bit of a shock, actually, because I think part of the tragedy is I'd become a bit of a lifer there and was just putting up and, you know, accepting things. My results were really good at that stage, but they went through a big transition and I got made redundant as as a result of that. And that forced me to have a real kind of recalibration of my professional working life and what I wanted to be and what I was. Um, I think I'd fallen into that trap that a lot of 40-year-olds can get into which is, oh, yeah, you know, I'm part of the furniture era. I'll kind of be looked after, et cetera. I was probably a few pounds heavier than I should have been, and I probably lost some of that cutting edge. As in, so in, in physical, physically pounds yeah. heavy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so you'd almost got comfortable in, in multiple ways, right? Yeah, they were part of the problem, but so was I. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, I, you know, at the time I felt really let down by them because I'd given heart and soul for this organization through my late latter twenties and through my thirties. Mm. And then it was suddenly, yeah, thanks mate. Off you go. Yeah. But at the same time I was part of that problem too. Mm. So that gave me the opportunity to really evaluate what I, what I meant to the recruitment world. Was this something I continued, I still wanted to do. And the answer to that definitely was yes. So um, as a result of which, I just had to make some significant changes. And one of the changes I decided to make was put myself in very different situations rather than the kind of corporate FTSE 250 comfy chair. I, I wanted to be literally sitting on a razor blade at, you know, some sharp edge. <laughs> you wanted to have a broken chair <laughs> in Brighton with fags at the desk. You, you know, the smoking ban had already kicked in. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so I, I, I worked for a couple of much smaller companies mm. and that was really good because it got me front and center. It got me out there. It realized what the business was all about. Did you go back to like, were you still leading people or did you go back to actually doing some recruitment or both? So really? I was leading and recruiting. Yeah. And, um, I, I remember the first time I got, I did 15,000 pounds in a month and part of me thought, you know, can you still do this? And it was like, <laughs> yes, I can. You know? Yeah, go on. <laughs> But I needed that. I need. It's all about relevance, isn't it? You know, yeah. and um, I, I need to show I, would, I could do this. I was up for the fight. I was up for the punch, um, and you know, just reconstructed myself again around my values. I'm interrupting this episode to talk about our sponsors first, okay? And our main sponsor today is Talent Ticker. And if you're looking for ways to get ahead of your talent in, uh, well, ahead of competition in 2022. Talent Ticker's here to help. Everyone says to me, Sean, candidate short market. Like I've literally just got off my academy today and I've had 150 recruiters tell me the candidate short market. What that means is they're spending so much time trying to find candidates and they're spending less time talking to clients, okay? Which means there's a challenge because if the market corrects itself and turns, are you going to be aware of which are the who are the hiring clients? And are you also getting access to the best candidates? So Talent Ticker, through the end of this month, any Hoxo listeners who request a demo of the Talent Ticker product will receive a free personalized list of leads to help them get a jump on the rest of the year. It's the first recruitment intelligence platform. It's like the Bloomberg of recruitment that provides you accurate contact information of both passive candidates and the companies looking to hire. 
So it gives you that predictability of when a company's been, you know, got investment or grown um, to a point where they believe they'll be making hiring decisions. It'll tell you what type of roles and the contact information for the hiring manager. So it's passive candidates and the opportunities. It kind of seems a bit too good to be true. So anyone using this tool can guarantee you'll be calling the right person at the right time for the right reason. Don't wait. Go to TalentTicker or get.talentticker.ai forward slash Hoxo and get your leads today. Amazing. How would you describe your values then? Um, I need to work in an organization that cares. Yeah. Um, and I think some of the issues I had where uh, the dollar came first, the service came second. Um, and I just couldn't do that. I, I think it's all about people and it's all about relationships. Hmm. It's all. And, you know, that's as much true as your candidates and your clients as it is as your staff. Yeah. It, it has to be consistent. It has to be, you know, um, that level of integrity about doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, I, I'm probably one of many people who gets deeply saddened when recruiters are tarred with a specific brush about, look, you know, just secondhand car salesmen and it's all about the dollar and all that kind of stuff. I, I think recruitment is a fantastic thing we give to society I when do. we get it right. And part of the problem is we're always dealing with human beings, so we don't always get it right. It's funny, though, because you can pinpoint that to most sectors. Like, my, my stepmom is a an SEO expert. Right? She's really <clears> – she's on, like, the European panel of SEO judges and stuff. Like, she's really good at it. Um, and I remember when I was in recruitment seven years – six years ago, whatever it was, five, five and a half years ago. And I remember towards the end, I had a chat with her, and she was like, I just can't get on board with recruiters. Funny, because a lot of her client base now are recruiters. <laughs> but she – can't get on board with them they just you know she just came out with this like blanket statement about how, you know how shit we were as an industry and i was like i said would you agree that not every seo person is as good as you she's like yeah i was like did you think some let people down so like, yeah do you think there's some good and bad in the industry she's like 100 percent. i was like well why is that why is that not the case in recruitment like um i personally i'm i'm on board i i the whole point of hoxo is to champion the good guys like what i want to do is I want the best recruiters to stand out on LinkedIn amongst the shit because the shit usually won't want to put their opinions out there. They won't want to, they want to just sit there and, you know, making money and at all costs. Whereas the good people want to invest in relationships, want to be seen, want to be heard, want to be, want to be recognized. for. And it isn't all about money. You've nailed, you've nailed it there. Cause I always, I ask every, I've had three and a half thousand recruiters go through my program in a year. And I've asked every one of them on the show, on the, on the, on the sessions, is money your number one priority? And very small percentage say yes. Like they all say it's important and typically why they got into the job. But being the best they can be, competition and being the best is usually number one. And helping people is up there in the top three. You know, trying to, we're not a charity, but we are genuinely making, like it's the, one of the biggest decisions people make is where they work, right? And we're, we're impacting that. It's not. Absolutely. It makes such a difference. And I've personally been on the on the candidate end of that experience. Yeah. And the difference it's made in my life is just fundamental. When you take somebody who's in a bad situation where their talents aren't recognized, where they haven't got an opportunity to step up to the next level, and then you actually put them into that spot in a place where they are recognized and they are valued in what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, and they are stretched in terms of their skills and their talents. It's such a remarkable place. I spend more time working at Morgan Hunt than I do anything else. You know, it's the thing I do most. So I have to, I have to be, you know, enriched uh, from this. And the money is a byproduct of doing the job properly. Yeah. And if you get that cart in front of that horse the wrong way around, you are in a difficult situation. And I think after a period of time, you know, it, it, it runs away from you and, you know, businesses or personal careers go down the swanny. I agree. Well, so one of the things about this show, right, it's all about growing recruitment businesses, yeah, the RAG, recruitment agency growth. And that can be any direction. It's not actually just saying you have to scale exit and make millions and swan off into the sunset. It can be, I want to stay one person lean. I want to be completely automated or what I don't really care as long as people have a vision for what they want and how they want to do it. Now, what I love about your story and why I wanted you on this show is I've had a few people on this show that are quite similar. Like David Etherington, for example, who's now the CEO of Amoria Bond X NP group. You know, 
never founded a company himself, but has done some unbelievable things at the, at the helm of these organizations. So like, did you, first question for you is, did you ever consider starting your own? Was it, was there ever an option at the point of Hayes or, you know, go and do this for myself and create the next recruitment firm? No, um, I, I didn't. Um, probably it was too late when I considered doing it. And often I have a beer with a couple of my mates and gone, bloody hell, we should have done that. Mm. Um, and we probably should. I mean, I think that late 90s period, um, I have to say at that stage, I was managed by some brilliant directors at Hayes and they could probably see some things happening. And I was picked up when I was moved to the next challenge. You know, mm. that, that was a skill set and still is a skill set amongst the recruitment businesses mm. is creating the challenge before somebody yeah. goes, you know what, I'm going to create my own one. Yeah. Yeah. So that never really entered your mind and, and you look back. So I, I think the other thing I just after that, I wanted to run businesses of scale, a certain right. scale. And clearly, when you start your own business, you've got to sort of that thing's got to go. Yeah, and I, I, I think my, you know, part of my skill is being able to communicate to large groups of people and to get, you know, messages across. Yeah. So tell us, how did Morgan Hunt come about? So I, I found myself, I'd, I'd done this sort of sharp shock to the system in terms of where I was working. And I wasn't particularly, I, I'd done that stuff. I got myself billing fees. I got myself managing teams. I got back and re-engaged with, um, with the recruitment business as a whole. But I wasn't happy in the organization I was working for. And lo and behold, a recruiter phones me up out of the blue and said he was just starting a exec recruitment business and thought there were certain guys like me out there in the marketplace. And in 2013, you know, it, it was a good stage for recruitment, but a lot of sort of records being broken yeah, and businesses moving forward. And he said, look, you know, do, do you fancy moving back to a bigger organization? And I said, yeah. And this is what I wanted. I was very clear about the sort of organization I wanted to work for. And I then started what turned out to be a very long uh, recruitment process with Morgan Hunt. Hmm. And um, I, I met the guys there and I, I just believed in what that organization was all about. There is something in the bricks at Morgan Hunt, which probably comes down to the fact that it was started by two brothers. It feels like family. It's entrepreneurial, um, but they just want to do it properly. All the things hmm. we've just been talking about, yeah. I resonated with this organization. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, I find myself doing another turnaround. So how long did that take to get the job? You said it was a long process. Uh, I think it was six months in total. And wow. I think there was some complications with staff members coming and going around that who'd recruited me. And then suddenly it moved very quickly. And I remember I, I'd gone in for a kind of meet the team type day and I got whisked away by Rupert Fordham, who is one of the uh, owners of uh, Morgan Hunt. And he said, oh, that MD <laughs> recruited you is no longer here. Um, meet the new MD. Fortunately, I've met that individual who's Sue Cooper, who a number of people in the industry will know. Brilliant lady. And I, I worked with Sue for a number of years there. What job, did you, come in, what job did you come in to do? It was the construction and their property and engineering sector, which was the kind of, um, you know, it, it was the poor performing element of the business. Right. So once again, it was weed out the wrong guns, elevate the people who were really good and talented, build a vision around the business and drive it forward with energy. What do you spend your day doing in a role like that? Like, is it literally just one-on-ones with people all day? Like, are you, because you wouldn't, I imagine you don't deal much with customers. Like, you, would you get involved in any like client-facing work or is it all just engaging with the people? Yeah, no, I, you've got to do everything because you've, you've got to get your head around it. You've got to understand it. Every recruitment business is unique to a certain mm -hmm. extent. So you've got to engage um and it, there's a lot of one-to-ones at that stage but there's also going out to meet the clients as well because they want to know what they think about your business and how they understand what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis that was really important um and actually one of the great things about morgan hunt is i wasn't used to the kind of warm reception we received from the public sector about morgan hunt as an entity so the um, feedback was positive yeah uh, uh, basically because they've always wanted to do the job properly and do mm. it well. And that ethos throws across whatever everything that Morgan Hunt does. Where were they going wrong? It, it was just that they'd lost direction and they'd had the wrong people and the culture was being controlled by people who had a negative slant on the business or their particular lot. And this is a kind of self-fulfilling loop system, isn't it? When you get people yeah. who have become negative about stuff. 
So you've got to give them the chance to improve it. And if it's not going to improve, you've got to make pretty quick action in terms of turning it around and get the right people in. And when you follow, because if someone's been in a business for two years or more and they're quite senior, it's not as easy as just saying, especially if you need that role, like you can't just let them go and then rehire someone. You've got to go through a process, right? And think about there's, there's quite a long process around HR to put, you know, performance management reviews in place, et cetera, et cetera, I imagine. Um, there is that. I also think brutal honesty is pretty good, you know, mm. and look, why do you feel about this? Okay, can we correct it, you know, and actually having really honest conversations where it becomes a mutual decision in the yeah. best, not, not in some kind of, you know, quick HR situation, but being really honest about what you expect, what success looks like in this organization and what it would take from that individual to manifest that level of success in what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis is really important. Yeah, yeah. Rather than hiding behind HR processes, which clearly at some point have got to come in in certain yeah. circumstances, but it's always much better just to level with people. Right, so you come into that and how long did you spend as the is it regional director or yeah i was a sort of divisional director in there yeah. and i did that for sort of i think probably an 18 month period before i was promoted to director took on other i kept on picking up other parts of the business which potentially weren't quite the level they wanted them to do it to be had a great sort of young junior management team around me who were inspirational and to me as much as the staff who worked for them and we, we just really started to move forward in the world um, we then hit austerity. Um, I don't know if you remember back then, but, you know, we had a coalition government mm. and there was talk of potentially another coalition government, which I think was either 2014 or 2015. Mm. And then suddenly David Cameron came in with a huge majority and then really wreaked um, sort of austerity down on the public sector, which was yeah. another of those sort of buffers that you hit in recruitment life. And it was how do we reshape, how do we focus to move forward? And what, what impact did that have? Uh, well, it hit a number of our sectors quite hard. There was a lot of rate negotiation across the business. Frameworks we were becoming more and more uh, prevalent within the sectors. And also um, managed service um, wins and losses for us in some cases and wins in others were really sort of dictating the performance of the business. So we just had to navigate a path through that and make sure that we're investing in the right areas and sort of controlling expenditure where necessary. What are the levers you're if you're running a division? What are, like obviously you can't be in the detail of every team and every person's desk. So what are the levers as a as right at the top of that tree? What are the daily or weekly levers KPIs are you are you tracking to know that you know know that things are in the moving in the right direction? Well, if you're me, for instance, you need a really good relationship with your CFO. And I'm really fortunate to have a brilliant CFO now. So he's pretty good at actually just sticking the right numbers in front of me from a financial point of view. And then from a KPI point of view, you have a constant touch on, you know, where your temp working's at, number of interviews you've got on perm placements, et cetera. And then the supportive work that goes into delivering those figures. Right. That's important. The next thing is you need really good communication. It's all about your direct team around you and getting honesty and openness from those people. Um, what you don't want are individuals who are going to, you know, paint a picture for you, which isn't representative of the truth. You need real honesty about what's going on so you can quickly dive in and, you know, take the appropriate action. Right. So what, how did the promotion to the MD come about? So Sue Cooper said that she was going off to retire. And um, we initially um, came in as two uh, joint managing directors um, into the business. Two joint managing directors were appointed, which was probably a bit top heavy and a bit clunky. Yeah. And then I went on to run the business after that. So um, how was that parallel run where you worked together? What did you what, what was the benefit of that from your perspective? Well, I think it suddenly was a big step up in taking on the whole business. So having two of us sort of break the business down in half and then coming together to agree a joint strategy. I, I guess that was the sense behind it. And I worked with somebody who was great, but ultimately I think businesses need a single voice and mm. a clear direction about where they're going. The other thing is you need to make things clean for people in terms of messaging, you know, and I think if, if there's too many voices involved, it can become confusing. Yeah. So when, when was it that you took over the helm? Um, so that would have been, let me see, 2018. Right. So you had a 
couple of years before the pandemic. So tell us where were you going into the pandemic in terms of size of company and what was different about the company going into the pandemic? Okay, so I'm really fortunate that I, I work for a brilliant ownership structure. There are two gentlemen, Rupert Fordham and Hugh Willis, who own the company, the largest shareholders, and they want us to build a brilliant recruitment business. So there's this alignment. Uh, we don't have, I mean, whilst it's a fiercely, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, it's fiercely corporate in terms of this needs to be a profit-making business that drives forward. We want to get it right. And there was a certain amount of investment that was going into the business at that stage, which allowed us to do a number of things. First of all, open up a business in Scotland, which over the last sort of two and a half years, despite the majority of that being in the pandemic, has been usually successful for us. Mm. And we're making really good strides in Scotland. And also for a public sector business with a lot of very loyal clients, they were giving all their vacancies. And then when it came to IT, we were having to recommend other agencies to give them to. So we actually built an IT business at long last within the organization, which is essential for a business like yeah. ours moving forward. The final piece is we pulled some, a great director team together, um, working with my chairman, who's the guy who got me into recruitment back in 1996, a guy called Darren Montague. It was a guy I sort of managed to pull into the business. We, we kind of went through our little black books and hooked up with a load of people who we've worked with historically and built this brilliant director team that the business now has the luxury of working with. Like a board, you mean a board or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. How, how often do you guys get together? Um, well, I was with him last night, um, which is possibly why I got a couple of bags under my eyes. Um, <laughs> so we speak most working days and then we come together probably a couple of times a month to go through what's going on, et cetera. And it's just really useful that there's somebody where I can have an honest conversation, you know, and, you know, break down in tears in front of them, that kind of stuff, you know? Well, it is, it is important, you know, because I think it, it, when you are the top of a business, people always look up to you for answers, right? You Decision is why you're there, like ultimate decision and support. But you've got to have that yourself. Otherwise, you just, where do you go to? So that's, uh, how many people are on the board? Um, so there's a team of six directors um, underneath us. There's an exec team, which is Darren as the chairman, Keith Whitteson as the CFO, and myself. And the board is the six directors underneath. Right. But it's, it sounds sounds like a really nice structure. So going into the pandemic, you'd already made those changes. You'd built the, the tech, the, the Scotland, and um, the, the team. And then, yeah. then you, you, was everyone operating in the office five days? And was it classic yeah. in, in, its, in its style? Classic old school recruitment, you know, suits, yeah. you know, the whole lot. And then suddenly the pandemic comes around and there is a comfort blanket, which, you know, that old school structure provides, you know, you can see everybody working, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. There's a level of comfort in it. And suddenly we all find ourselves at our kitchen tables, in our spare rooms, all that kind of stuff. And, it, you know, you talk about having somebody to talk to through those difficult times. That, that was the moment when I really needed it because it was so different to what we'd done. I'm forever grateful for our IT department that literally switched the thing overnight and the business within sort of 48 hours was completely operative from everybody's homes up and down the country. And did you have a, what's the sort of average age demographic across the recruiters in the team? Uh, probably sort of 26, 27, that sort of area. You know, we, we, we yeah. sit normally from a recruitment point of view between that 25 to 35 group. Yeah. And do you have, did you have a lot of people that struggled in terms of, you know, sharing flats, living, working on kitchen tables and end of beds and things like that? Yeah. Um, I've got to be honest, I struggled a bit as well yeah. because, it, again, where do we find our energy? It's that human interaction and it, it's harder through um, screens. I think we've got a bit more adept at it at the time. Um, one of the things I regularly do is hold a, what we call a company address, where London's obviously our biggest office. We get everybody there. We get the other regional offices on the screens. And I will talk to them about where the company's going, you know, performances, um, uh, which have been of, you know, an outstanding level and just what's happening within the business. And that's where you look into people's eyes and you understand if they're with you or not. Mm. And then suddenly when you're in a room on your own and everybody's kind of dialing in and internet connections are failing. I found it quite difficult, but we got through it. We did it. And now we're in this kind of new way of working. Um, yeah. I, I'm proud of us all that we realized that hybrid was the way forward pretty early on. 
and we managed to do something in terms of downsizing all the office properties we had in an 18 month period which has been a, a usually well, how is it how is the structure now how do you manage it so that it's productive and you get that right that balance well first thing is you hire the right people and you retain the right people and you cover them in trust and um, that's where we are with people and ultimately you know recruiters do have a fee line that comes out every month and you can see who's doing the job and who's not but secondly the next bit is about communication and making sure there is regular you know contact with individuals that you know goals are being set you know problems are being dealt with and there's that communication around everything we do what but in terms of the the, the hybrid what's yep. the model like if you got rules around it for example how are you how are you making it work so we initially spent a lot of time building these rules and then we realized that as lockdown after lockdown came in we realized that, that rules were just pointless mm. um and um people have been effectively working from home for 18 months and now you're going to impose some structure on them about when and where they should be in the office and it was just crazy now I actually think for personal health, you need to be in the office at least two days a week. I think that's good. Mm. Um, and we've got some people in the office five days a week, either because it's it's where they, they are most productive for them personally, or they don't have a situation where they can work properly at home. We've also got some people who are very rarely in the office now, may come in once a month just for that touch point, that one-to-one -one with their manager or their, or their director. Well, and, the, the cool, the interesting thing is, even if people are in the office, it's almost still got to be on video, hasn't it? Like you, you've still got to do a lot of your team meetings on video, even if three people are in, because there's always a chance people won't be. If if you have a one day, everyone's in, brilliant. But reality is, most people are sat on their headsets or whatever, dotted around. You know, even if they're in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we invested in sort of special teams rooms where you get that kind of as seamless as you can get it. Ultimately, somebody's on the screen and somebody's in person, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. A lot of those meetings are hybrid. And do you ever get a, po a point where people will, there'll be too many people coming in and you like you downsize so much, it's an issue? But, well, potentially we might have to ration it or we'll get people booking yeah. seats. Right now it's not an issue. Um, having said that, um, we're actually having to upsize our Manchester office with some of the stuff that's going on there. Mm. And they're really keen to get back in. And the, the social element of that um, is driving a lot of it. They want to be around their mates. Yeah. So if you look back at your career then and where you're heading now, like how would you summarize that? Or I call it an entrepreneur rather than an entrepreneur. How would you summarize that journey for like why should other people think about it as an option? Because I, I'm I'm guilty of being one of the guys that promotes entrepreneurship a lot, you know, and, and people I think a lot of recruiters feel that's their only way. Like if you were to talk to people that were maybe in management roles that are thinking, you know, I want to have a really good career and, and I want to make a lot of money and I want to, but I'm not sure I want to go, like, I don't know if I want to be in my underpants launching a company or I want to take that risk to do it. I don't know if I want to be an entrepreneur. What's, what's that journey? Like, why would you, why should people consider this as another option? Um, I think it's about scale uh, largely. And I, I Recruitment for me is a bit like a steeplechase. There's just this kind of endless number of jumps and hurdles yeah. that you've got to get over. And you are just starting at a different space to the guy who's doing his own thing, right? Mm. You've still got to get over a load of hurdles. But in my current working role, a lot of those hurdles have already been crossed. doesn't mean we've got a load more ahead of us because we have. And in this world that seems, you know, to be continually disrupted. I mean, we're all coming out of the pandemic. Way a bit of clear water ahead of us. This is going to be great. Then lo and behold, we've got Ukraine kicking off. Yeah. We've got the cost of living. We've got inflation at an all-time high. I think that particularly is an issue, is a challenge for business uh, leaders and business owners right now. And something that I've never had to deal with in my sort of 26 years of recruitment experience. Mm -hmm. That's a new one on us. We're going to have to get our heads around that and work out what that means to everybody. Um, but it's about that scale piece. Now, ultimately, I'm an entrepreneur. I see myself as an entrepreneur because the owners of Morgan Hunt give me the opportunity to head that business up. And it's me coming up with the plans. It's me having to report back and to make sure the things um, 
profitable and the thing is driven forward and we're hitting our financial goals and the business itself is building to be in the spot that everybody wants it to be in. So I still have all that responsibility. I'm just doing it probably with more people around me. Mm. And, um, and I need to be part of a team. You know, apart from playing drums, the other passion that's run through my life was cricket. Uh, played a lot of cricket as a kid and uh, as a young adult. And I love that team environment. Yeah. You know, I want to be part of that. Yeah, it makes sense. Where are you heading then? So what is the vision for Morgan Hunt? What are you trying to spearhead for the owners and for everyone else? Well, I think we know what we want to be, which is, you know, the UK's leading public sector recruitment business. And I think in certain of our niches, we are the leading recruitment mm. business in that area. I think we really got together and some of the stuff we talked about, about doing the job properly is really crucial to us. Morgan Hunt, inspiring working lives is our tagline, you know, and we genuinely want to, you know, get rid of some of the social stigma that uh, revolves around recruitment businesses and show that we make a difference in doing our job really well. So that's the sort of key issue for us is how can we drive that, become better and better at what we do, making sure that our candidates feel they're in a much better working environment, mainly to the thanks of Morgan Hunt finding them that opportunity. And our clients' organisations are enriched and improved by us finding the right people in talent short markets for them. Yeah. So have you got like a destination headline numbers or headcount or revenue that, that means you've, you've achieved at least phase one of this vision or horizon one? Yeah, so I think there's two parts of it. There's a financial plan that stretches over the next five years for the business where we want to take it. We believe that we've got the leadership teams into delivering that plans. And you know what it's like, you know, you set these financial targets out and then the world comes along and whacks you one way and the other. And it's being fleet of foot, you know, to be able to adapt the strategies to make sure you, you're still getting where you want to get with it. So the financial plan is part of it. But secondly, is this deep dive at ourselves and this constant sort of um, understanding of where we sit in the marketplace and what we mean to everybody to make sure that we are delivering the ethos of the business we want to be. Yeah. What, what would you say, like public sector, I imagine, held up pretty well in the pandemic i imagine it, you know there might have been areas that didn't but i think you know of all the sectors it would have been pretty strong right so am i right in believing that it was it was it stayed quite quite consistent even despite economic conditions right so, so we had some markets that excelled so mm -hmm. clearly the stuff we do in the nhs which is not doctors and nurses it's around the other supportive stuff um, a lot of maintenance stuff a lot of facilities management stuff in the nhs that went crazy um, social care went really big for us over that period of time, but other areas really didn't. So the central London, central government piece really shut up shop very quickly. Um, what else fell over? All our perm business kind of stopped almost instantly. We do a lot of businesses with colleges across the UK. That's our education stream. That yeah. almost came to a standstill as people went to remote learning and realised instead of having 15 to 30 kids in a the class, they could have 100. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. In reason I ask that though is like the market has been absolutely nuts for about I'd say twelve months at least, where record month after record month. You know, I'm talking every day. I'm on my academy. I ask people, "What's the market like?" And I get busy, crazy, nuts. Like you know, and I'll specifically ask questions around candidate flow and client flow. And everyone's telling me the jobs are coming out of every angle, and the candidates are harder to find. And is it? it, it Two parts of this question. Is it the same in your world? And do you see it correcting itself at some point soon? Do you see there being a, a, ch a change in that respect? Yeah. Um, okay. So first of all, public sector businesses don't tend to get the great lows. So if you or look the at the... High. Yeah, exactly. Or the kind of level of highs. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's this kind of switch on, switch off. I know with a lot of mates who yeah. work in private sector fo uh, uh, focused businesses. So we didn't quite have that kind of loss of business we also didn't have the step up that some organizations have had that said all our consultants now are job heavy um, and i think in that there is a concern because suddenly you start to lose your client relationships because you're so focused on trying to find a candidate and just get them out and get the yeah. placement sorted now I i've given up you know um 
you know, guessing what the future holds for us. But I do think there's a good chance we're going to see a recession in the next few months in this country. And mm -hmm. then we're going to see that change. Um, as a public sector business, that normally puts us in a good spot because our businesses tend to keep on going or actually step up a level, uh, level to deal with some of the societal demands on the uh, departments and uh, organisations we recruit for. That said, if we're not close to our clients through this period, we can't expect them to be close on the other side. And what tends to happen in recessions is the private sector boys try and muscle in on our turf, et cetera. So you've got to make sure you're holding up those relationships throughout. But I, I do think it's going to be an interesting 12 months of the recruitment business. And sadly, this kind of nice, clear stretch of water we'd all hoped for when we came out of the pandemic may be somewhat curtailed by the stuff that's going on around the world. Yeah, I agree. But it does seem at the moment there's there's not many signs of it slowing down right now. It seems no. pretty pretty hectic. Um, what's your biggest problem that right now as a C, as the man MD of such a big? What, what's your biggest headache? If you had to pick one thing that if you anything that's a challenge right now, well, I think it's two things. I, I think my biggest strength and my biggest joy is our people, and my biggest headache is my people because they're all getting squashed under the cost of living stuff as well, and it's constantly. We know the clamour for talent in the marketplace. We also know that um, our competitors look at Morgan Hunt and they see people as well-trained and well-orientated and people who succeed in Morgan Hunt are, are normally you know, excellent candidates. So there's a lot of pressure around those people, but we've got to keep you know, strong with our values, make sure we're looking after our people. We've got to make sure that we're offering the very best sort of environment for them to excel in. Mm. And that's part of, you know, articulating the vision for Morgan Hunt and where we're going as a business and where like their it. careers can go on the back of that. I like it. And finally, you mentioned in the Hayes days, you got a little bit, you got a bit fat in different yeah. ways. <laughs> what's your route? What's your kind of like a bit outside of work now, but what's your strategy around keeping fit mentally, physically, you know, having a great relationship at home, family, friends, Take the work to one side. It's a huge part of your life. But how do you balance the other things? Like, what's your approach or a values, vision towards that? Well, I, I don't agree with this word balance. I don't think it comes. I don't think you can have a role like mine and have balance as such. I think what you've got to do is be mindful of the time you have with family and friends and make sure you are utilizing that to the best possible niche. Right. My wife might tend to disagree with that sometimes in terms of my ability to handle that. But the job is this all encompass it's this focus of this stuff. You know, often I can just find myself drifting off at the dinner table because there's a problem or an issue at work that I've got to control. So I think the first thing is almost trying to find the off button. And there comes a point in the evening where you've got to drop it. I make sure I'm not on devices after eight o'clock in the evening and I won't pick it up until the following morning, etc. Because for me, sleep has increasingly become a, a key component of my life. That's caused me to really reduce the amount of uh, drinking I used to do. I used to have, and particularly during the pandemic, there wasn't much else to do. So you'd have a couple of beers after work, you know, some kind of joy. But I've knocked that on the head. I'll have a drink one or two nights a week, mainly because it protects my sleep. And I know if I haven't drunk anything, I sleep a lot better. I think one of the big things I give in my role is energy. And um, if, if I haven't slept properly, that becomes more and more testing. So I've got to be able to function at a high level, which is all about protecting my sleep. What I consume is really important. I think the next thing is I engage in some serious hobbies. So I do play the drums. I've told you the last couple of Saturday yeah, nights, I've been out gigging. Um, when you play the drums, you cannot be thinking about anything else. No. Um, there's a meditative state about it, which you get into. And you are playing the drums and you are completely in the moment with what you are doing with the fellow musicians around you. Yeah. And that is usually beneficial to me. And then when you're with the family, you've got to make the most of it. You, you've got to, you know, I, I bully my kids out onto those country walks because I know if I'm walking with them in the open air, they'll start talking to me. Mm. And some of their troubles and issues and concerns and stuff they're excited about and what they're thinking about will all come out in those environments. So that's really important to me too. Lovely. Um, Dan, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. I love it. You, you've clearly had an amazing career. I think that entrepreneur piece, 
the way you position that is, you know, you st you're doing the same thing, just starting at a different point. I think I've never never heard it thought of it that way, which I think is really useful. I think there'll be a lot of people that will, will really value this episode and can learn from it. And 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 again, you just you you just you just shining the light of positivity on the sector, which is what I'm all about. You know, I just don't believe in adding more negative press and shit to the world. And you know, this work this this industry has given a lot to to myself, to you, to many others, and um. I hope plenty of people listen and, and think, you know what, I want to, I want to do something similar. Um, if anyone does want to reach out, if anyone's listened and thought, not interested in working for Morgan Hunt or anything, just honestly, you, you, you've got the job or the career that I want. You know, would you be open to giving them some time and having a chat? One hundred percent. You've got to pay back what you've taken out of this um, business. All those people who were so fundamental to shaping my career, particularly in those early days, and actually the people I work with now are a big part of that. Um, you've got to give something back. So more than happy. If anybody gets in touch with me through LinkedIn or emails me at dan.taylor at morganhunt.com, I will happily do my best to try and come back to them and help them out. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure people will take you up on that. Um, Dan, we'll get you back on in the future. We'll, we'll bring you back on and see how you're realizing this dream of Morgan Hunt's growth um but take care of yourself and we'll see you soon great to talk to you sean really appreciate the opportunity thank you thank you as always for listening to today's show i truly truly hope that you got value from it that's the only reason i take time every week is to ensure that my audience future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that i love so much stronger today's episode was brought to you by hoxo media I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn and would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week. That's live on LinkedIn. I'll see you soon.